Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jake Rieger. And I am the other one, Neil Ball. And this week, we're celebrating the irradiated lineage of the Fallout franchise, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this month. What originally began as an isometric turn-based post-apocalyptic RPG from Interplay Entertainment adapted and evolved into Bethesda Softworks' signature blending of first- and third-person action RPG that continued with the franchise's pitch-black satirical themes and tone. So we thought we'd share some of our experiences with the franchise while highlighting elements of our favorite entries. And be warned, we will more than likely be delving into spoilers for several Fallout games. So Neil, Fallout is a franchise that has, like most, when they've been around for 25 years, uh, has evolved and had different iterations, whether that be you know the gameplay or even just the yeah. perspective in which you're exploring these worlds. Um, but you know, Fallout, I think, which makes this kind of a rarity, I would think, between some of the other RPG series out there. You know, Fallout has had this core sort of like ethos, if you will, that has followed each of the games. And I kind of touched upon in the intro a little bit, that being, you know, the kind of pitch black satirical nature of just not only America, but also just, I think, society in general, right? Seeing how, Mm. you know, just because the landscape changes doesn't necessarily mean that the people within it change all that much. And, you know, in some cases in these games, they actually uh, are evolving into something else entirely that maybe is not uh, the best version of themselves. <laughs> um, but I guess the only place to start really is for you, what was your first introduction to Fallout? So while I was aware of it in its early days, you know, being into the PC space just about the time that the original game came out, um, at the time it wasn't really for me, so I didn't really get into that. It, it came after you know, Oblivion had just like blown my socks off, you know, like this oh wow an open world RPG and it just feels really open and fresh and amazing and then to hear that the same studio were basically doing this post-apocalyptic style game that you know borrowed much of that I thought okay yeah sign me up I would love that I would love that and yeah so I was there straight away pre-ordering Fallout 3 making sure I got in on that had no real you know baggage with the series at that point and I got it. I played it for two hours, and it bounced bounced really hard off off it the first time. And then I came back to it a couple more times, bounced off it slightly further, and again, and again. And I was just thinking, well, okay, maybe it's not for me. Maybe this isn't the way. You know, sometimes you get a combination of things where you're like, oh, this is a thing I like by a developer that has done something else I like put together this is a surefire smash and you find out that no sometimes that combination doesn't work for you but i used to frequent certain forums anyway at the time and always came up in discussion about what people liked about the game and this 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 and i thought you know i'll I'll give it another go and it finally finally clicked with me and like i started spending ages and ages on it and then the problem i had which i'm sure many people were not in agreement with was I was playing on PS3, and Bethesda games on PS3 <laughs> did not run very well, to be putting yeah. <laughs> it very lightly. And this was a game that I got about 60 hours in. I finished the main story, did some of the side stuff, did like stuff like The Pit, really into it. But the later you get in there with the save stuff, the more the game just starts turning into a single frame 
thing, you know, where it, you know, everything slows down, everything falls apart, the game crashes constantly. And it honestly, it has never had that with a game be so unbearable that, you know, I get 10 feet frame rate in under 10, under 10, 10s in frame rate, no joke about it. And just then it would just crash eventually because it just the, the load of it because of the save system just added data in there or something stupid. I think the same thing happened with Skyrim for many people, which luckily for me did not happen. And so, yeah, it was a very bittersweet thing for me because it's like I really was enjoying getting into it and it was sort of taken away from me a bit. So, yeah, even now, um, coming back to it on Xbox where it's been like given this frame rate push up and it's going to run better because it's on Xbox anyway, I still can't quite trust that it's not going to do what it did before, you know, <laughs> like that. And there's nothing worse than putting like tens of hours into a game and it just falling apart before you can ever really get everything you wanted out of it. You know, and so that was a big regret of mine for a long time. But it's not the end of my story with Fallout, so that's good. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing. <laughs> and there's so much about it that I really enjoyed and so much that was so memorable. It's just unfortunate that it, that that experience was not as good as my experience with uh, other games by Bethesda Softworks around that time. Yeah, you know, I got to say that in playing it over the last week on Xbox, right, because it was on Game Pass and it's had that boost, mm. I, I have never had as much fun replaying the first, I don't know, 15 hours of Fallout 3 as I have. Um, because, yeah. you know, that instant loading essentially, right, you don't kind of have to, yeah. let alone, you know, the game running as smoothly as it does. But, you know, just fast traveling is a cinch, going in and out of environments is a cinch, um, which definitely took off some of the burden of, you know, those moments when you find yourself like, okay, I have to go from one end of the map to the other. And, you know, then back <laughs> in the day, you'd have to sit there for like 60 seconds sometimes, it depends. Um, but, and, you know, at the end of that 60 second load time, it's like, is it actually going to load or is it going to crash? Um, and this was the smoothest time I've had with a game that, you know, is, and, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I guess I'll reveal now. This is my favorite Fallout game um, that I've played. Not to say I haven't enjoyed a majority of them, but this is the one that, you know, I think I've spent the most time with. Um, and getting mm -hmm. to replay it this week with those, you know, performance improvements was an absolute delight. But, you know, you talked about bouncing off of the original uh, Fallout 3 with your time with it uh, initially. So I guess what was the moment, if you remember, that it really did click for you. Because, you know, for me, coming off of Oblivion and kind of having the similar experiences you did, where I was like, oh, man, this first person exploring this world that, you know, it seems like it grows the further that you're exploring it and just the depth of the world and the mm -hmm. inhabitants and the writing and all of these things. And then to find out that, oh, there's this post-apocalyptic game that's going to champion a lot of those same elements. I was like, holy yeah. shit, I need that. You know, I needed that yesterday. Um, that was very much an appealing thing to me, especially being such a big first-person shooter fan um, and seeing how they were going to blend action with an FPS, you know, that was right up my alley. But, you know, I didn't have, I didn't bounce off of the game initially. I was enthralled with it. So I'm curious, you know, when was that moment you're like, aha moment of, oh, okay, this is actually for me. Well, I, it didn't really come until I had HD, I think, because, you know, during those early years of playing it, you know, it was like, here are HD consoles, not everyone can have a HD television. So I was still, you know, I was living in a place that had a very old school, thick, chunky TV and like playing games like that. 
I'm sure there are many horror stories people have about that generation of consoles and playing on big chunky TVs and not being able to see <laughs> stuff properly because they didn't have HD vision. And it, honest to God, so many games that I would go back to and almost not recognize. I mean, it, it's hard to understate um, quite what the jump was to go from like to that to a HD image. Far more than like HD to 4K was. It just made games feel so different. And I think that really did help with it when I came back to it. Um, the other thing was, yeah, it just, it was very buggy. Um, the systems didn't really like, gel with me. And I, to that point, I had not really been into many RPGs like that, you know, anyway, especially like those sort of ones. And, the catalyst for me in a lot of these games was uh, like Borderlands and Borderlands 2 where suddenly I got all the things that made RPGs like this work but in a very different way so you know Borderlands being so simple and simplifying the, the RPG process and making it very shooty shooty worked for me because it taught me how to play an RPG through a different lens through a lens I was familiar with uh, you know, having played countless first-person shooters by this point. And so, yes, by the time I came back to that, and having played Skyrim and really got deep into that, I returned to Fallout 3 with all that knowledge in hand, and, it, yeah, straight away, it felt smoother. It felt normal to play until it wasn't. But, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> which, you know, is the most heartbreaking thing about it is that to not get the full redemption arc on that game, you know, and though I now can still have it, you know, it's maybe a bit too far removed, but fascinating still that I'm playing this game now, you know, what, 14 years now (laughs) since it came out and still trying to get that thing because new Vegas, you know, that was worse. You know, for me, it, it, if Fallout 3 was bad, New Vegas, I couldn't get past a few hours with that game just becoming unplayable on PlayStation 3. That, I mean, it's insulting how bad games were on PS3 with the Bethesda stuff. And a miracle that, you know, Skyrim somehow ended up being the game that avoided all that and I like, put hundreds of hours into and completed and got all trophies, whatever. You know, it just shows that when these games work and everything goes right, they become your favorite thing ever, your most memorable thing ever. So it's no surprise that the Fallout game I love the most is the one that I got the most hours in without any problems, and that's Fallout 4. So, yeah, so you know, we are bringing those two games to the table in terms of our you know, standout favorite games that we're going to focus on the most. You know, And, yeah, Fallout 4, for me, is the one that did it. It was like the the promise made full, you know. Yeah, you know, my starting point with Fallout was the original two games um, because I, at the time, like I was wandering down an aisle at Comp USA, which is mm. obviously no longer a thing for anybody that lives in America now. Um, but it was like one of those value packs where they just put all of the Fallout games that were on PC, which was <laughs> one, two, and uh, Fallout, I think it was called Tactics. Tactics, Or yeah. Brotherhood of Steel or something like that. But anyways. It, yeah, Tactics, Brotherhood of Steel. I think it's like, yeah, same game. But that was the one where it was like a top-down RTS almost or squad-based, kind of like Commandos or something. Um, But I just remember 
other than, you know, playing one and two and then being so difficult that I bounced off of them because I was just like, I'm standing right next to this guy. How did I not hit him with my gun? Which, you know, <laughs> is a conversation for another day. But it was still two games that I spent a lot of time with, but didn't necessarily make a great deal of progress in. But mm. they were games I kept coming back to because first off, just the aesthetic of those games is something that I was immediately taken with. Uh, you know, you're dealing with nuclear holocaust and post-apocalyptic and mutants and all these things but it has this like the cutesy pit boy right where it's kind of like mm. this essentially like a satirical take that underplays the the darker side of you know nuclear holocaust you have this cute little like mascot almost of the vaults that's like giving you thumbs up and everything and then at the same time, it's like telling you to be careful of uh, super mutants or, you know, getting radiation yeah. sickness and dying a horrible death. Uh, so just the game having this comedic sensibility behind it, in a way, was something that I'd never encountered in games before. And I was immediately taken with. Um, I mean, in one of the interactions that I remember is meeting a, a ghoul for the first time. And the ghoul starts calling you like smooth skin or something. And I was just like, wait yeah. a minute, what is going on here? And just like <laughs> little interactions like that, that are so tongue in cheek that are, you know, unmissable and kind of their irony. But at the same time, I was like, oh, games can have a sense of humor about them other than, you know, whatever kind of cutesy platformer I was playing at the time as a kid. Uh, granted, you know, again, and not to nitpick too much on it, but like those games were far too difficult for adolescent me to get into them with the same depth that I would of something like, I don't know, Starcraft, which would then become my next obsession or Half-Life or something like that. Um, but I always had fond memories of the world of Fallout. And so years mm. later, when Fallout 3 came out, it was like, oh, here is a style of gameplay and genre that is far more to my liking, you know, granted it, when you're comparing one and two to three, yeah, three is a little bit easier, but that's not really the point. I carried mm. over the core drive of what I really enjoyed about the original two games, but it was giving it to me in this platform, essentially, that was more accessible to the types of games that I was playing, especially when yeah. I would spend all of, you know, elementary, high school playing first person shooters. All of a sudden you're like, oh, you can explore this world that's really intriguing but in a gameplay style that's a little more palatable for me. So I was immediately yeah. taken with it. And that became an issue for, uh, you know, trying to get homework and life stuff done at the time. But yeah, very fond <laughs> memories of Fallout 3. But, you know, before we dive, I guess, into like specifics of our personal favorites of the series, you know, what is a quality of Fallout? And, you know, you said that Fallout 3 was your first introduction. What was a quality of that that kind of differentiated it from other RPGs? Uh, that you were playing at the time, or just RPGs in general? I suppose because it's like a different take on the sci-fi RPG. You know, um, if you, when you do sci-fi RPGs, they are you know very technologically advanced, very much in the future. Whereas this is like, yes, it's in the future, but it's in a future that's sort of retroactively stopped at a weird point, you know, where technology of the 50s is very much there and you have this sort of old history version of America. And I found that really fascinating as a whole anyway. Um, the idea of like a post-apocalyptic world in a, in a nuclear sense was appealing to me anyway, because it's like, you know, I was already obsessed with the idea of, you know, post-apocalyptic worlds anyway, but to have this one that is very much, you know, the world we know devastated beyond all comprehension, but many, 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 many years after the fact, you know, and people sort of coming out into that world that is 
as alien to you as it is to them, you know, and it felt like a really cool connection to make. I mean, I suppose something that demeans the, the opening of Fallout 3 is that it's like, here's the world revealed that that it, that takes from oblivion and all games since have done, you know, in some degree, um, bar Skyrim. Um, yeah, it isn't quite as uh, overwhelming and awe-inspiring because you know it's horrifying and dismal, and that's the point. But at the time, you know, when you, you've seen this one big reveal done once, you know, in like the Oblivion one, where it's like iconic to the idea of you come out of that sewer and you see the world, and you're like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" You know, I mean, the first time I saw that was like on a projector size screen, and it was just like, "Oh my god." This is a, this is like a next step for video games, you know, because that was on PC when I played it, and you know, PC was already you know jumping ahead for a lot of these things and really doing things that I had seen elsewhere. And so when I can, you know, Fallout redoing the same thing, it's like, eh, not quite as uh, inspiring, but you know, in retrospect, going back to it, it's perfect. You know, it, it really does work well as a sort of introduction to. Yeah, the wonder is the world is fucked and everyone's just striving to make a living out of it. Despite everything that's happened, you know, people are still not uh, really, nobody's really rebuilt anything properly. Nobody's really had a try at doing that and the world is still not habitable in places. And I like that. It's um, a lot of what I like about post-apocalyptic drama in general is, you know, the idea that every time anyone tries to build a society within the ruins of humanity that it just gets torn back down again and no one ever really makes the progress to become what we once were again you know they've had hundreds of years by this point yeah so <laughs> it just shows and i like that because it almost feels medieval mm. you know and which is perfect as a fit for that engine you know and that you know taking from where the elder scrolls games were so yeah it's a mixture of things really that just came together and really felt like a proper appealing idea and like I said when I saw that first trailer and it's like so what Oblivion did but this okay I like this I like that I, I really would like to see more of it and yeah I think that's what made me persevere with that game despite bouncing off it was just I wanted to have that I wanted to have that feeling I had with Oblivion and the freedom and the wonder and the acceptance, I suppose, finally came when it was like, you're not supposed to have the wonder in the same sense. You know, it's not like, oh, look at this lush world, this lush fantasy world. It's like, no, this is a grim fantasy world where, you know, everything everything is just been messed up beyond all recognition. And you are witnessing a graveyard, effectively, of humanity, uh, where people are still not learning the lessons of it. And... While it's not like Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto sort of levels of like snide cynicism towards American ideals, it's still there. You know, I think the difference being that Rockstar wasn't based in America to begin with, so they were more likely to take the piss in a very you know, more earnest way. Right. This very much feels like the Americans, you know, oh, you know, nudge, nudge, you know, look how silly we were about all this. and But whilst also sort of embracing a nostalgia for a certain time and period. And yeah, it's 
a really complicated bunch of things at the end of the day to, to sort of come together to make it, even you know, even the way it went, very unique within that space. Yeah, I think that the world is one that you know, as it is a barren wasteland. At the same time, it's a world that you just want to explore so you can get some little kernel mm. of information about what has transpired in those hundreds of years. And just, you know, you're yes. obviously in Fallout 3, it begins with you in the vault and you're quite literally going through milestones through <laughs> adolescence, you know, quite literally starting as a baby uh, when Liam Neeson, who plays your father, um, is like basically raising you, right? And kind of going yeah. through the steps and telling you about what life in the vault is like. And then one day you wake up and he's gone. And that's kind of what kickstarts your quest to leave the vault, to escape the vault. Um, but yeah, the world itself is one that I find... I just enjoy being in because of, like you said, kind of this step out of time. But at the same time, you know, life has not really progressed. Because if you think about it, I think it's supposed to be like 200 years removed or something like that. Mm. But the idea that we couldn't bounce back in 200 years, and this is kind of what we've been reduced to. And it's like the only technological advancements have been weaponry, of course. And then, of course, that's why the world in the current state is just like, oh, okay, well, there's no more nuclear war, but we're still going to have wars against one another. And just again, yeah. you know, that uh, the famous now series, famous uh, monologuing from Ron Perlman at the beginning of a majority of the games where, you know, war, war never changes. Um, and fu- and just being in that world and again, exploring something that is a byproduct of an older age, I just find is very unique. And it comes across, you know, not only mm. in the items, comes across in people and how they dress and their personalities, but also, you know, like through the music, which was something that I really yeah. enjoyed. Um, you know, not that I have an affinity for like 50s show tunes or 50s music <laughs> or 60s music, but the oh, the tunes yeah, and do. the tracks yeah. <laughs> that come into that Pip-Boy, you know, I end up kind of like bobbing my head along to them because they fit the game and the world so well. Um, that it really does like put you in the boosts of uh, somebody that is, you know, wandering the wasteland. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I love that sort of time period anyway. I think mainly because of um, Stephen King's It, you know, the child section of that being very 50s based. And I suppose a, a sort of connection there in a way, in the sense that it's like this sort of whimsical reimagining of, of a time period that also is very bleak and dangerous mm. you know and i suppose underneath that was another thing that appealed to me yeah and really got me going on what it was doing um yeah so i it's great in that way i think um having that makes it feel very different you know to what it could have been and we've seen in the time since and there have been many sort of post apocalyptic games rpg and otherwise that haven't quite had that personality to it. Yes, it's very, you know, you know, schmaltzy and sticky to sort of do something like that, but it works. And it works because of uh, the overall theme of what the games are doing in terms of like, ah, you know, Americana, everyone's nostalgic for what was, and yet they, you know, they're so far removed from what was that they don't even know what they're nostalgic for. They just it's whatever was left at the moment before it all went wrong, which is hilarious really, because you know, that's the bad time. You know, that's where it all went wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't be sort of celebrating that, but they want to claw it back to sort of reset before that moment happened. And uh, yeah, that's, it's a very common theme. And probably the criticism that most came to the games like Fallout 76, where like, 
you know, beyond what you think of it as a game, you know, it's very much improved. Um, there's so much of it that doesn't really fit that original idea behind Fallout. And I think that's always been a criticism of fans of the original games to the games that came free and onwards, is that they didn't really get the satire that was there in the same way, but it was very surface level. But no, it's, I think it's still there and it still deserves attention. For sure. Um, I guess before we dive into, you know, Fallout 4 being your favorite of the franchise, you know, mm. there's always been that sort of uh, looming criticism, I suppose, around Fallout that people that aren't fans of it, you know, will refer to it in a derogatory manner as being, you know, it's just Oblivion or Elder Scrolls with guns, <laughs> right? What is a quality of Fallout that, you know, while there is definitely, you know, connectivity tissue between those two and there's definitely DNA from the latter into uh, into Fallout, um, what do you? What is a quality of Fallout that you know really does separate it from uh, its big brother, if you will? Well, I think the main thing just being that, like I said before, it's the uh, way it handles a false history. You know, it's um, the Elder Scrolls series feels like a story thing in the sense of it happened. It all happened a long time ago, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is like here is the history of something that has yet to happen. And that's exciting in its own way. You know, it's like in the same way the Terminator films are exciting in the sense of you get to know what's going to happen in the future, but you know, you're witnessing it in the present. And this sort of gives you a sort of window into what the future will be whilst being in the present. And it feels more and more believable. Uh, <laughs> especially at the minute uh, as we record this it's um that nervy sort of uh sense of like well how would we ever get to that point how would we ever get to the point you know forgetting that you know we had this point come up more than once you know in history already and you know i was only recently watching um fred's the bbc film which Basically, you know, it's like the build up to an escalation of war, which leads to nuclear weapons being dropped and just how terrible that impact is harrowing, you know, to say the least. Um, and yeah, there's just something about that that is far beyond like uh, the whimsy of the Elder Scrolls fantasy, the, you know, as dark as it can get in bits, it still very much feels like fantasy. You know, I think Fallout's strength is it has a reality to it, whilst you know having a little uh, dabble in the absurd. You know, the fact that you can have handheld nukes and, <laughs> and, and you collect bottle caps for currency. Yeah, sure, it makes sense in a way. But it's yeah, I think that reality that's at the core of it is the most unnerving and you know the most horror-led thing about it. You know, that we are covering this for a reason is because you know that it has horror at its core which is if, if you don't see nuclear war as being <laughs> you know, horrific horrific then you know that, that you are naive and or just too young to understand and yeah that it's making it fun seems odd in a way you know that, that you can go through it like that but it's a way to sort of compartmentalize what that horror is, which is what good horror does. You know, good horror takes something that should be traumatic and upsetting and turns it into fun and entertainment. And 
that sounds horrible and cynical in itself, but I think that's really comforting to a lot of people, you know, and I think that's why horror, you know, always maintains its place you know, at the table because, you know, people need that, you know, people need that release and something that takes them away from the things that really worry them about the world. It's fine. I'm pl- I can play Fallout 3 th- this week and not think about shit. This is going to be, um, I, I really hope this doesn't come anywhere close to a reality for our planet, you know, but, um, because it takes that sort of sideways sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink route to doing it, uh, rather than that sort of straight up thing like Fred's or when the wind blows does, where they're like, no, no, this is the horrible things you'll have to witness, the, the horrible suffering that people will have to go through. And so I'm kind of thankful for the trivialization of nuclear war in that regard. But obviously, that's like saying, you know, Scarface is a really good film, yeah, and it, it teaches you the dangers of like um, getting too big for your boots and aiming too high and all this uh, in a criminal sense, and yet it doesn't get taken that way. And I suppose that's the terrifying aspect of that, where it's like people don't get the point, right? Yeah, that American Psycho, Fight Club, things like that. And, you know, they get labelled as such as these sort of dude worry films because they, they attract an audience of people who miss the point entirely. And Fallout is a series that has that, you know, and many of the detractors of, uh, you know, who love the original games are saying just that, you know, these games don't do it. They don't understand the the importance of what they're doing. But I don't think they need to. They're not those kind of games. They aren't. I mean, at the end of the day, you're playing a role in an environment which you hope to God you never have to be in. So <laughs> it's like, yeah. and yeah. So it's the, it's the biggest thing about it is it's just reality is there and it, it seeps through it, and that makes it horror more than any Elder Scrolls thing could ever be. Yeah. Plus, you know, Bethesda does run with the radiation angle and making some really horrific monsters. I mean, the super mutants. Mm themselves you know while you might laugh at some of their dialogue they are these horrific mutations and abominations and just seeing the ways in which they're able to you know implement really disturbing creature design with that and the freedom that comes with that you know if something in elder scrolls you know you've got well there's magic or there's fantasy to explain that away you know in fallout there's radiation and we can see the different types of monsters you know whether it's ghouls whether it's you know glow irradiated glowing ghouls and these different things um, it's a game that I think does a good job of balancing, like you said, kind of the fun aspects of its much more darker, uh, themes and whatnot, but yeah. it incorporates that in a multitude of ways. It's not just like having a, you know, a lecture about the dangers of that from a character that, you know, starts pontificating or whatnot, but like the world itself is just so horrifying because every time you see a bombed out building or you see, you know, just this nuclear waste that's everywhere, it's just like, oh, this is all because of us. <laughs> This is everything that you've seen here can't be explained away by magic, by, you know, some freak occult incident. No, it's, you know, humanity getting carried away with their own technological advances and, you know, the the human condition, if you will, to inevitably destroy one another. And basically these games are saying, get over it. It happened. You're living in the world as it is now. You know, it's like you aren't responsible. You're just so... You've got to live by the rules of the world that's left. And, and that's comforting. It, it really is in playing that because 
you know, <laughs> let's be honest, in reality, we we would we wouldn't be experiencing a world like that because you know the effects of it would have long taken us out of it at that point. So yeah, it's. I mean, I suppose that's where it is the most fantasy-based of all, is the idea that, oh, yeah, it's right, you can take a few rads here, you can take a few <laughs> rads there. It's like, and it's like, no, no, it's like you'd be puking in a corner rather than taking on super mutants. Right. <laughs> super mutants wouldn't be there anyway because they'd be fucking dead. But, yes, it's it's uh, gallows humour, I suppose, oh, when you do it like that. So, which is the best kind, yeah. The overall gallows humor, what you've been talking about, like, again, that comes back to just them incorporating the thematics into this, you know, this fictionalized world. But the thematics that they're handling in com- the social commentary is one that still holds up and is very valid to this day, right? The whole mm. concept of, you know, the vaults in and of itself. It's just like, well, what's the solution to what is the capitalism's solution to the inevitable nuclear war? Anybody that has money can potentially live through the nuclear fallout. Everybody else yeah. is shit out of luck and on this most recent replay uh, i remembered uh, that you can come across these like nuke nuke proof shelters that are single occupancy but if a nuclear war was going to come why would they not be lining the streets with them there's always like one in a handful yeah. of areas or something but it's just like oh you know again the fact that if you have money you could survive and yet if you don't then you're any number of skeletons that are literally littering the wasteland oh yeah and i mean um, to go to four, um, the skeleton thing is like really pronounced there. You know, like some of the scenes that are set up with the skeletons of the apocalypse. I mean, it makes you laugh in a way because, like, how has no one moved these in all these years? And I know I get that most people have been locked away, but like, it's cool to have these sort of little mini stories that don't require reading ten tons of. Te- you know, people's left. You know, no one's left a fucking notepad full of notes. No one's left like a tape recording. It's like no, the, these skeletons in this position tell you a story, mm-hmm. and it, it's one of the things that I really, really loved about that in Fallout Four is that you just find them everywhere, doing all sorts of weird shit, and like you didn't need much of an explanation. It's like you could sort of look at it, the situation, and go figure it out, and go, yeah, it's cool. And I like that. It, it's you shouldn't be afraid to, to take a simple route to telling small size stories within your game without, you know, going on a full on narrative, like sub, sub story. Uh, and yeah, I think the emergent gameplay that comes from games like this uh, work best when you have those sort of moments where you are just seeing something that you may not ever see. You, you make you just suddenly witness it because of the way you go, the way you play. That's the definition of like uh, the freedom of, of open world play, is that you will see things other people will never see because your mind took you here, there, and everywhere uh, that, that someone else didn't go, and you will notice things that other people won't notice. And I love that. I love that stuff can just be designed not to be seen, and. Yeah, you find it and you go, oh, so this, this is personal to my story. And you can share those stories with people who love the same game as you and go, oh, you know, I saw this, this, and this. I remember actually when reviewing um, Fallout 4 and a buddy of mine that was working at the same site was playing it at the same time. And we were sort of sharing stories about the skeletons and like the stories. And, like that. and we came across different things. And like so he was telling me about one lot in the bank and I was saying about this 
scene in a bathtub that had been set up. And it's like, and you get it. It's like, and it's easy to be cynical about how video games tell stories and say, oh, look how obvious it is that they did this, this, and this. It's like, but I, like I said, the difference between that and a film is you will not find everything in a game as easily as you will in a film. You know, a film is, you know, a single line through, you know, a, a game is, a, you know, a tree with many branches mm. when you take it to open world. And so you are getting something wholly unique compared to another person beyond perspective, you know, which yes, in film, you can get a difference of perspective, which makes your experience unique. But here is perspective and exploration, you know, that, that makes it so, so amazing when you have a game that really understands that in an open world that you can just have your own story that feels meaningful, even if it's just a tiny, tiny bit, you know, not every open world game gets that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's the quality that I remembered the most vividly about my time with Fallout 3, which is just how anecdotal it was. You know, a lot of Mm. the time when I'd been playing RPGs, it was the type of thing where, yeah, of course, you've got main quests and then side quests. But I was just so enamored with Fallout 3 because if there's a good chance that if I just start walking in a random direction early on, I'm going to stumble upon a side quest that's just as, if not more memorable than elements of the main quest. Um, And that's an element I'd like to highlight a little bit later when I get to Fallout 3. Um, And just the sense of like the quality of storytelling is the same, you know, the same level of quality, regardless of whether it is a side quest or main quest chapter, which, you know, for the time I was experiencing that for the first time, because typically it was the type of thing, the types of games I was playing, it was like main quest is the story and then side quests are complete fetch quests. And then you get some reward that helps you overcome whatever, you know, obstacle is in the main quest that, you know, you're not a high enough level to deal with. But you know, with Fallout 3, I barely remember elements of the main quest because it's so, I find, to be lackluster compared to the quality of these little vignettes that you discover. Yeah, and even like the DLC as well. You know, the, while that was inconsistent, the stuff I played, there was some really good stuff. Like the pit is like one of my favorite things. It's not even like most people's favorite thing about Fallout 3's DLC, but I really enjoyed the pit yeah. as a thing. So I was very excited to see that come back for Fallout 76. It, it just felt different somehow, and it's hard to sort of pontificate on why. It, it just has something about it that you suddenly felt like you were in a different place, different area, and just like the rule set was different whilst still fundamentally being part of the same thing without going to the ludicrous, ludicrous extremes that something like uh, Mothership Zeta did, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um it felt grounded within that world. And yeah, it, I like that, 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 you know, there's a care and attention given to stuff that beyond the main story. And that's no stranger to any of those games that Bethesda software has put out is that, you know, um, you think of the best missions in say oblivion or Skyrim, you know, they're, they're always side stuff, you know, like, um, and whether you go into them or not, is um can again just opens up the story to a whole new way i mean coming to these games after the fact when all the dlc is out is even more expansive and more choice based because you can suddenly stumble upon stuff that was never there to begin with you know and um 
take on the story in a very different way than if you had finished the main game and then come back to the DLC later. You know, it's like to play the whole thing with DLC and sort of dip in, dip out and go there and everywhere is just feels like you're playing the most complete uh, unabridged version of what you were supposed to play. And I love that about these games. Yeah. You know, I think that Fallout has consistently had a level of storytelling that, you know, whether or not the setting is changing, whether or not the gameplay is changing from iteration to iteration, you know, that attention to storytelling and craft mm. and just, you know, giving a variety of experiences within this world that, you know, can feel, you know, unknowing in the best way possible. Mm. The same way that, like I mentioned, with something like Oblivion, you know, you could explain away anything in that world because of fantasy and magic, but it's great to see them take something that, you know, is a little more grounded, you know, <laughs> not much more grounded yeah. considering <laughs> super mutants running around, but, you know, a little more grounded. And yet they've found the some of the most creative means with which to tell stories that fit in that world, no matter how absurd they might be. Um, but, you know, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to dive more into why Fallout 4 is your preferred Fallout game of the series. And, you know, you can highlight a couple of uh, a couple of yeah. elements of that that make it such a standout. But uh, more on that when we come back from our break. And we're back from our break. And we're going to dive into why Fallout 4 is your preferred Fallout title. So, Neil, take it away. What about Fallout 4 makes that a standout for you amongst the other uh, offerings of the Wasteland? I mean, beyond the obvious thing of it worked uh, <laughs> like, um, which again wasn't necessarily true for everyone i mean again someone else i know was playing it around the same time had trouble couldn't get past 20 hours in without bugs and problems like that and here was me you know second game in a row from professor where i was like yeah no everything's fine everything's working great i'm getting hundreds of hours in it's not just about that though so my main criticism, as I may have mentioned before, about Fallout 3 was just how underwhelming that sort of uh, apocalyptic environment could be because it was so dour and it just so showed no signs of life, you know. And here, you know, this um, Massachusetts, basically, region known as the Commonwealth, it has a kind of life to it, you know, whilst still signifying how dead and desolate the world can be. And you know, the, the idea is more based on what I'd like to see about this series, which is, you know, build a community, make this game, you know, make this world better by your presence in it, not just because you're the hero of some great adventure, just find out what you want to find out, which, you know, the story, again, is very much the same, just from the opposite angle, you know, Fallout 3 was like, you're the son trying to find the father, you're the father trying to find the son, in this case. And the fact that there's, constant thing of like you know, to a point it became meme worthy of like you know a settlement needs your help sort of thing <laughs> like where you're trying to help people in this apocalyptic world it felt kinder you know it felt like it felt less selfish than free did you know where it's like my daddy's gone i must find him like that and i'll do whatever i can to find him the fact that the game constantly throws the idea at you of, no, you've got to, you know, come on, help people, make things right, you know, like that. And even a lot of the side stories are the same. It, it just really spoke to me in that regard. And like I said, it just looked beautiful. You know, it made nature take a step to the front, you know, in a way that you couldn't really get in Washington. And it just looked lovely, you know, and just... 
it was serene but full of danger. You know, and I don't know, it felt like the more idealized idea I had in my head of what I'd want that sort of world to be. You know, where nature takes its place back a bit more and it's a bit more open and it's not all about buildings and humanity's graveyard. And yeah, that was great. And yet then when you do sort of delve deeper into the cities and things like that and all the stuff that's in it, yeah, it feels very much more like Fallout 3 did, but you know, it still manages to be more colourful, more detailed. You know, that's not just a change of, you know, it's a whole new generation by the time this comes out. Um, there's just so much about it that really works for me. You know, I know, I know it got a lot of a kicking from some fans, you know, um, after release because they were like, oh, it isn't like this game, it isn't like that game. And I don't know, I, I just felt like it, it was the culmination of what they were doing with that series. I still think, you know, any other Fallout game isn't really going to add much. Um, I think 76 kind of told you that to a degree because it was just like, here's this with a bit of that and uh, with online play and not very good at the time. But also, I think the DLC for this is really underrated, you know, in, in terms of the whole series. Um, people always sort of had this whimsical stroke at um, New Vegas's DLC. Which you know I can't speak to because, like I said, I've played out a few hours of it on any platform and <laughs> never seemed to get very far. Um, but yeah, there's like some really cool stories told within that, and you know they weren't all about um, story necessarily. They like add features and things like that to the building and stuff, and the creation engine itself that was used. You know, where you could sort of build your own community and just like do like it was really engaging for me you know as someone who loves like stuff like the sims you know to sort of build a community it felt like you were having more of an impact on the world than free you know it's like it felt like you weren't just like trying to get through a world it felt like you were trying to be a part of it whilst also still going for your main goal and the side characters that came into it, that remember, I mean, Nick Valentine is still like one of my favorite characters. Top three yeah, Fallout the, character. Yeah, I mean, he's just great, you know, you know a, a Bogart-esque you know, <laughs> gumshoe detective who's an android, and he's great. You know, he's great. And the game's full of weird moments and side missions that you can just stumble upon that, like, what the fuck? What the fuck is this? But that one that takes, uh, I think Far Harbor is the DLC that really yeah. sort of struck home to me the most. And, oh, yeah, just the, the foggy sort of like it reminds of it and all the very cosmic horror almost style feel to it. You know, again, it was the most horror led the game felt. And I loved it. I just, oh, I, I'd have taken a whole game in a place like that, <laughs> you know, like that. And it was absolutely wonderful. But yeah, it just, was just something I really, really fell into. And like I said, the biggest thing is undoubtedly that I had no interruption from start to finish you know, to play it through. Um, so my only regret is that I found out that my disc copy, which I lent to my uh, brother-in-law, um, the save attached to that wasn't the same as the save attached to a digital copy. So when I bought the game digitally... I couldn't go back to those saves. I'd have to start again. So there's 
there's stuff I'd like to have gone back to and done there. But so I, I come back to it now and again. I did a bit on PlayStation, did it on Xbox. But I know, you know, it's it's never quite the same experience the second time around with, with a Bethesda game. It's like because you've seen so much and there's so much of it that you aren't going to get because you're rushing because you're not going to have the sense of wonder. I like having a gap, you know, between playing what was and um, playing it again so that you kind of forget a lot of it. But you find that you don't actually forget a lot. I think um, there's something weirdly memorable about the uh, sort of journey you go on. And uh, yeah, it just, I found it so endearing, you know, as a game. It, It just did so much for me. And it was because it gave me the opportunity to actually experience it as it was. Yeah, which is seems to be luck at this point, but it's, like, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, it was lovely. I really was a fan of the world, and just for many of the reasons that you mentioned, right? I think that mm. it's a world that has so much more variety into it. You know, I feel like that's the biggest detractor of Fallout Three, even for somebody like me that's a huge fan of that entry. Um, is that too much of that game looks exactly the same? Um, that was one of those things where it was early in. I think Bethesda really making these big sprawling worlds and it was the type of thing, there just was not that much environmental differentiation between sections, right? Other than the fact that, oh, uh, here you're in, you know, like Western Maryland and now this is the city section, but everything pretty much looks the same geographically based on where it's at. Um, I, you know, somebody that spent a great deal of time in uh, the DC area, um, having family there and stuff like that was really surreal for me getting to walk around this in different places that I'd been like the space museum, natural history museum, all these different places, uh, walking along, you know, obviously the, the Capitol and these things, um, was really amazing. I found, you know, I think that might've been the first instance that I had actually walked around like a digital recreation of a city that I'd been in, um, which was cool, but yeah, too much of fallout three, for me, looked exactly the same. But with Fallout 4, you know, obviously I'm also, you know, a New Englander. So I have a familiarity with those environments, but also even the the environments that are made up in that area, you know, they have a great differentiating quality to them in not only the way that they look, but also I found just like the construction of them. Like early Mm -hmm. on when you leave the vault, one of the first places I think you come to is Lexington, and then there's like a stone quarry nearby, which, you know, I haven't been to Lexington Mass in a while, but I'm pretty sure there's no massive stone quarry there. But it was <laughs> cool to get a verticality to environments that wasn't just scaling a building, right? It was more yeah. about kind of exploring a new variety of environments that weren't just the same sort of like bombed out, burned out buildings. Um, so from that side of things, I was appreciative of that evolution in just the world of Fallout from 3 to 4. Obviously, also, yeah. it was cool exploring Diamond City and getting to run around Fenway Park um, and see how they, you know, had made that, <laughs> recreated that and turned that into a vibrant city. And, you know, the way that it's constructed, it's, of course, you know, it's pretty absurd. But at the same time, like, it fits. If you walk around Diamond City, you're like, oh, okay, this at least kind of looks like how you think a ramshackle post-apocalyptic city would fit within the, the parameters yeah. of Fenway. Um, and so little things like that, I was a fan of, um, you know, whether or not, you know, I have, uh, I have roots in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, um, obviously like for Far Harbor, that's in Maine, yeah. you know, and that was like, uh, you know, to go to Maine, uh, a Stephen King fan is always fun. <laughs> so it's like, um, 
again, probably big deal for me in terms of why I enjoyed that. But yeah, it's like, it's the, you know, the Grand Theft Auto vibe, you know, like recreating a place, even if I haven't been there, it's, you, you see places you've seen in film and media and whatever like that. And you go, I recognize it, even though it isn't exactly the same, I recognize it. And here, you know, it's, it's through the, you know, the filter of, you know, this is this area, if it was as it was before nuclear war stopped it in the fifties, whatever, and sort of style. And obviously it's an old history, so you can get away with things being slightly off right. here and there. But you recognize it. You recognize things like Like, I can play GTA Five to this day and recognize parts of LA just from film and stuff like that and go, yeah, that's that bit from that film. That's that bit from that film. Same with GTA Four, actually, even. Um, you know, there are aspects of it. And I think that's a great quality. Stuff that tries to go like one for one and go, this is how this was, blah, 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 like that. And it just feels kind of false. And you're missing the point of making a world that it allows for a game to play out in it. Yeah, um, it will not be fun. Uh, the Assassin's Creed games, as they got bigger, have had that problem where they're just like, here's this great landmass of like, this is supposed to represent that, that, and that. And it's like, okay, I get it, but it, it's still not fun because you're not designing it to be fun you're designing mm. it to be a big wide space and that's it right. and yeah this is the opposite this is very much a we did work years on this honest and we we have made this um representation of an area that many people know but with you know an old history flair that means we can take up a, a creative freedom and i think that's the best of both worlds because then people familiar with it can go I recognise that. Oh, hang on, that's a bit different. Oh, that's a bit different, like that. And yeah, that's great. I still remember this with like um, back in the PS2 days of, of the getaway and how I did London like really accurately in some places. You know, to the point that when I did visit them years later, I could still sort of go, "That was in the getaway," like that. But it was so bland because they really did just go, "There's that bit." They they didn't really go beyond that, you know, and. Yeah, you need to have a bit of creative freedom, I think, when you're making worlds based on places. And I think this is a very good example of that. Yeah, so, you know, in moving away from just the world of Fallout 4, um, let's talk about some of, like, the inhabitants within that, whether mm. that be, you know, characters, companions, or quests. You know, you mentioned Nick Valentine. What about his character and that arc and those interactions oh. and uh, dialogue that he has, you know, were such a standout for you? Yeah, I mean, he just embodies everything I like about the old noir gumshoe, you know, in an android body. I mean, there there are plot lines that go there, you know, in in that and uh, sort of utilize his skill set, and that makes him feel like quite the unique uh, companion. I mean, to the point that I, I struggled to remember a lot of them, and yeah, he is. I suppose the best way to put him is like he, he feels very noir uh, detective in a lot of ways in terms of like how he's dressed and how he talks like that. But he's more like Columbo. Yeah. Know, it's like he just has that vibe to him. Yeah. That, that sort of sassy, sarky, uh, you know, oh, I've caught you out sort of vibe to him. I think that was more endearing to me yeah, uh, than anything else. And yeah, he just, 
as a guy that I like to have around, you know, I think everyone always picks a favourite companion when they play games like this, and they go, oh, they're, they're staying with me the whole time. And yeah, Nick Valentine was pretty much there for the majority of my journey. And it was nice to sort of uncover his story, you know, and like go through that as well. Um, it just made it for uh, for a more enriching experience. And I think it's just the danger of whatever you get with these. I think you have games with multiple companions and you usually come across one earlier than the others. And if they're too strong, the others are just going to be like, no, not worth your time. It's like you will not, you will not get the chance to engage with them, even in a game that's hundreds of hours long, you know, in the same way. I, I, I liken this to Persona 5, yeah, where... I'm always going to engage most with Ryuji and Ahn because they're like the first two, you know, that, that you really get to bond with. And so therefore that they, they, it's in your mind, even on a replay, that they're the guys that you, you really bonded with first. And while you can appreciate the other characters as well, they are just, you know, the things that you, they are imprinted on your brain as being like, I met you first. Oh, you're my favorite sort of thing. <laughs> it's, it's a friendly face in a, in a strange world. And if they stand out enough, any other character is going to have a struggle to sort of match that. And yeah, that, that's very true, especially in this game, especially as some of the later potential compatriots and companions are just arseholes <laughs> and just don't really have anything to offer. So yeah, it, Nick Valentine beyond just the fact that he is one of the earliest people you can meet and and have recruit on the team is he just has a really interesting story you know he he's t- doing the blade runner thing with the more obvious fact that he is a replicant if you will <laughs> you know it's like and it goes from there i like it i like you know android stories like that are really cool and it, it just fits that world nicely, especially considering what you find later in the game with regard to androids. You know, um, it really totally matches what comes. I love that about him. Well, I like too how Nick Valentine's own personal story, which you know you unlock essentially, you unlock the side story of him uh, mm. through your interactions, and you know, obviously, if he's, I would say he's the good. Uh, companion, right? And if you have an exceeding amount of good karma, then he basically opens up to you and reveals like this new uh, side quest path. But I mm. like that his side quest essentially runs parallel to the main quest of the story, which I don't necessarily remember ever being a factor with a lot of the other companions in Fallout games. Usually it was like, this is my very personable side story, which is fine. But with Nick Valentine, having his story having more investment in it because I'm uncovering, you know, more about the world and the world's relationship with yeah. androids and things. And then having an Android that I'm invested in as much as I am with Nick Valentine, overall, it made me even more appreciative, I think, of that character, of their side quest, but also the main quest in Fallout 4, which, you know, we don't have to get into a, a big thing about, you know, quality of the main quests in the Fallout games. But like, I don't remember the main quest of Fallout 4 being especially memorable for me, but I was appreciative of the fact that I was more invested in it because of the potential ramifications for this character who's a companion that I was incredibly invested in, you know, more so than uh, the son I'm trying to find at one point because I was like, oh man, this guy is awesome. This is my go-to guy. And just learning more about them in a way that was reflective in the relationship. Like, I like how 
that's a character because, you know, all companions will comment on what you do, right? If, especially if you start behaving in a way that goes against their moral compass, they're going to comment on it. But like Nick Valentine was such a rich character that that very standard kind of companion comments actually carried some actual weight to it and made me think about things uh, maybe more than I would normally. Yeah, and I think also because he's the first character that really feels welcoming compared to Preston Garvey, mm. who feels a bit demanding you know, to the point of being a meme, you know, about, <laughs> you know, help people, help people, help people. Why aren't you helping people? You know, it, it makes him very much you know, <laughs> a different problem. But, um, yeah, there are other good, companions there's no doubt i mean another one of the ones that are really good is strong the the uh super mutant who is basically you know very uh <laughs> has a thespian influence <laughs> which I, I really like about him uh, that that again just feels like the very particular kind of fallout character of oh yeah okay take something that is inherently horrific or intimidating and make it human in, in a weird way and yeah, it, it's great in that regard. I mean, Jan, John Hancock is another one. You know, um, the, the ghoul who's basically, um, you know, dressed up in old school fucking outfit, and um, he's quite fun as well. And I suppose if I had to pick one more, I mean, I wouldn't pick Paladin Dance, for instance, because. Yeah, that, that's the epitome of, like, fuck off. Yeah. yeah the Brotherhood of Steel, just don't do it. I mean, yes, dog meat is dog meat. And if you if you want to count a, a dog as a companion, yes, it's nice to have a dog as a companion, <laughs> but it, it's not really... Lack, lacks the same you know, uh, narrative drive as some of the others. Yeah, <laughs> it's just more, it just felt like that was the birth of the can you pet the dog thing. Yeah, it really was. And he becomes less of an interesting character to have. But um, I suppose Piper Wright, you know, the, the reporter in Diamond City. Yeah, you know, I, I really like that sort of story as well. You know, there's a plucky sort of vibe to it. And it, it worked, you know, again, as a simple and, you know, cliched as it could be. It worked really well for the, for the uh, story because it had that sort of old school America vibes to it as a character with that sort of modern sad realization of the world that the person is in yeah i think god there's like over a dozen companion possibilities and yeah there are a few that really stand out and the rest are like yeah whatever what about in terms of uh quests what were some memorable quests from fallout 4 that you found were uh you know strong strong showing of you know whether it be writing or just sort of them having, uh, you know, the kind of more absurd corners of storytelling that uh, that the Bethesda can sometimes be known for. Well, I think uh, the murder mystery yes. is uh, one of my favorites. Absolutely, I'm sure many will be. I think it's um, Brain Dead. I think it's called. Is the mission um, in Far Harbor? I think that is. If I'm right, um, and yeah, it just the fact that it. Um, takes you to this hotel and gives you a very Agatha Christie style murder plot in <laughs> in this world just works so well. Um, it's hard to sort of explain without spoiling it as well. So, um, but just generally the way you go through it and investigate it, it feels right, you know. Um, 
it, it just gets that. And there's like this whole vault thing as well, a separate murder story as well that has that. It's just, whenever it goes off piece like that and you really just take the game in these weird, odd places, uh, usually where I like it the most. Um, but yeah, again, uh, the end of Nick Valentine's sort of run of story. I actually, yeah, despite the main story not being like the key into everything, I think when it gets towards that end and you get, you know, the revelations of it all, they really do feel meaningful and impactful in a way that I didn't really feel with free. You know, it's like, um, I think probably because you had this like time jump because of being frozen in time and like um, the way those interactions end up turning out where you are basically you you become a deadbeat dad by accident yeah you know, right. and it's like um <laughs> it's kind of a, a glum thing in a way but uh and you're trying to convince you know, someone that that's not the case and yeah i, I think it's powerful in, in as much as a fallout game can be in terms of uh, emotional story but yeah the murder mystery stories are the, are the best there's no doubt about that. They, they really just feel like a good jump from what you're doing and uh, take you to, on, on a whole different journey. Well, that's something that I think I really love about the storytelling in all the Fallout games is the fact that they take a lot of whether it be, you know, genre tropes or they take, you know, clear cut influences from other forms of media and they make it fit in these scenarios yeah. that fit the setting. And it might be ridiculous you know, the concept of an Agatha Christie murder thing, but it's a robot instead of an actual person. But just that premise alone, the way in which they sell it is far more important than however ludicrous a specific premise could sound. Because again, the yeah. same quality of the way the characters are written, characters that you can tell they have a history with one another or with just, you know, the wasteland in general. Um, I think that, again, it's the type of thing that it sometimes can feel like, oh, they're throwing, you know, everything in the kitchen sink at the game sometimes, but it's more about how they sell it, each quest and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and how, again, I, with Fallout, it's the rare thing where I find that the side quests, there's such an interesting variety of different mission types and characters you meet and, you know, combat situations you find yourselves in that largely I find the side quests to end up being more interesting than the main quests of these ga uh, that these games have yeah. a lot of the time, which I can't say about a lot of RPGs. But in this case, it's the type of thing that it's like, well, I take it back to my anecdotal days with Fallout 3. If I start marching in any direction randomly, chances are I'm going to come across a really unique side quest that can eat up, you know, an hour, sometimes a little bit more. Um, and I think that that anecdotal quality is what makes Fallout, and I would say even like Oblivion and Skyrim to some degree, maybe a little less in those instances, but, you know, just coming across these fully realized side quests that don't just feel like it's main story cut content or something, if you will, yeah. you know, that's an oversimplification, but just content that doesn't feel like an afterthought that can be as memorable, if not more than the main quest, and you find it totally randomly, just wandering around the hills, uh, and you end up coming across some freak interaction or a character just will run up to you at a certain point, you know, that's a magical quality to these games. And I don't say that lightly. I think that that's a quality of fallout that, you know, is why I was supposed to play, I think just a handful of hours just to, you know, <laughs> jog my memory. And I almost spent 20 hours this week diving back into fallout three, trying to either hit certain side quests that I hadn't played in a long time or just things that I wanted to revisit and you know it made for uh, it made for a blast of revisiting this 
RPG that I've spent hundreds of hours playing, something that uh, nowadays is a, kind of a, a, a daunting concept that, you know, the older I get, the less time I have for 100 hour RPGs. But Fallout is one that already I could see my getting its hooks into me and me sticking with for another, you know, 40 or 50 hours. Yeah, that, that's always the fear with, with these games. It's like I, I almost have to force myself not to get in that point, which unfortunately means I don't do it um, because I, I see where it's going to lead. I see the the hours I'm going to waste. You know, it's why like I go back go back to uh, Persona Five when, when I went to Persona Five Royale. It's like I've done this game once already, and yes, this is a more expansive version of the game. It has more extra things and stuff like that to do. But I'm taking my time this time. You know, last time I reviewed it, so it was like putting 100 hours plus into a small space of time. Same with Fallout 4. So the, I don't mind coming back to it and just doing it in chunks and just getting to a point and going, okay, that's enough for now. I'll come back to that later. And that, which is what I've been doing with Fallout 4 for every year since 2016, I think now. So, you know, because I, I did all that, finished that, and everything else, you know, I had to play the DLC stuff for reviews. So I did bits of that, but uh, since then, it's been nice to sort of just do it on my own steam and just, you know, I've already done all this. I can do it at my own pace. It's fine. I like that. Skyrim the same, you know, I, I, <laughs> when it, the PS4 version came out, I did it bit by bit by bit by bit. And then, you know, the PS5 versions come out and I'm doing that bit by bit by bit again as well. And it's just, yeah, they are just games that you can just, do chunks with again i think it's if you come back to them you have to approach them in that way i think because you know unless you're like going mod heavy or something on pc it's not really going to be the same experience again but it's nice to just get those little hits of what the game made you feel the first time around you know where it's like the wonder of like well if i go this way instead of that way what will i find first you know like that and obviously the more time you spend in that world the more you're going to be like oh shit you know I, i've done all this before just in a different order but there's always little things little things you may not find and those little surprises are nice i liken it to um you know when an open world game does it well it's like watching a film and noticing something different you know uh, on a second third fourth fifth watch whatever and it sort of reinvigorates your enjoyment for that film if you enjoyed it obviously and yeah so when games do that and they've been that long you know to begin with to keep surprising you and keep offering you new things it's just so wow you know you're just like Oof. like i mean we're talking about fallout 3 and all that it's been so long since i started that campaign you know and despite doing that first bit many many times and obviously all the experience of other games in that Bethesda wheelhouse and other open world games that I've played since have you know, had an effect on how I perceive these games and how I play them. So now, you know, going back to Fallout 3, it, my approach feels very different. You know? And so even though I'm hitting familiar beats, I'm hitting them in a very different order in a different way. What once was very intimidating and like too much in so many ways now feels very much like I have the power, you know, I have the control over it. And I suppose that's the best thing about replaying an RPG is that you, you go back into it like, well, now I know 
how can I react to this world differently? That is um, the ultimate wish fulfillment. It's like beyond role playing a character, you are role playing a rewind of history. Like, well, this time I can do things differently. And, you know, that, that that's a really fantastic quality in a game. Yeah, you know, with the evolutions of Fallout, right, not only from the perspective and the pacing of gameplay, but also just the presentation and it being more action focused with each new iteration, you know, I found that it was not as um, maybe rocky of a transition for me as for some other people, because Fallout just always felt like it was something that would fit so well within the action RPG context, even more so than something like Oblivion, because Primarily, you know, the perks and whatnot are so attuned to, again, not only the humor of the Fallout universe, but also just the gameplay style in general. Like, I love how so many of the perks are a reflection of the world, whereas, you know, in fantasy games, for the most part, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, you can, you know, you can carry more gear or you can cast more spells or this and that. But in Fallout, like one of them is take 50% less radiation from drinking water, or you have the bloody mess perk, which is probably my favorite perk in any RPG (laughs) where, you know, sure, it gives you, I think, five points in uh, small arms handling, but the real draw of the perk is that bodies will randomly explode into millions of giblets, Mm. which is just so fantastic, uh, not only to see pull off in vats, right, where it's that slow-mo, where you shoot a guy in the chest and then his head explodes, like just the ludicrously violent nature of that world and seeing that in slow motion is just, uh, I always get a kick out of that. Yeah, I think, weirdly, um, I would think of the Fallout franchise in very much the way I think of the XCOM franchise in terms of, like, they both had these sort of reinventions while still being somewhat true to what they were. And they both feature, like, a cinematic camera for certain kill shots and things like that that feel utterly satisfying to pull off because you know you've done something great. You know, it's like, in both cases... You are dealing with a game of chance, you know, like a percentage chance of how will the shot hit? Will it do a critical damage thing? And when it does, oh, amazing. When it doesn't, you're already sort of feeling the dread and pain. Of, oh, what do I do now? What do I do now? It's like, because I'm about to be taken out of this and then something else is going to happen. And so, yeah, that, that is, again, just another part of it that just makes me go, yes, the stuff I like, these little minuscule things about games that, aren't necessarily entire gameplay ideas and are not genre-based, if you will. But they're things I didn't even know I liked about games until I experienced them enough to go, oh shit, I like this sort of thing like that, which is great. And you know, I think that the VAT system was a good sort of bridge for me when XCOM re-emerged as it did for a turn-based combat game, you know, to had that because again i was never really into it as a thing but xcom as it was as brutal as it was back in the pc days i found it intriguing Mm. but only in that only in that you know it's like anything else no uh, it really wasn't for me outside of maybe final fantasy you know eight and otherwise it's like a shrug of the shoulders no i suppose there's a deep connection between those two franchises for me in, in terms of, you know, they sci-fi, they do those same sort of things and they uh, engage you in the world in a way that feels very personal when they're at their best. So yeah, it's um, great for me when Fallout does that and uh, evokes 
what I love about XCOM. I mean, that's as close as a first-person shooter perspective could ever come to being turn-based. And I forgot Mm. how generous Vats is when I was replaying it because it's like, I remember people saying like, well, it's not really a turn-based game, but I was like, if you wait two seconds, you get enough to do two more actions in Vats. Mm. So also in Fallout 3 specifically, right? And it might actually be why I prefer it because I find that in Fallout 4, you can kind of run and gun a little bit more um, in that sense because it is much more action-focused or just incrementally so that I find that I didn't even need to use Vats for a period of the game. But, you yeah. know, there's, of course, going to be sections where you can't get through it without using that just because of types of enemies and weaknesses and weapon profiles and things. But with Fallout 3, like, it really wasn't viable to just try to play it like a first-person shooter, which is why I never understood the criticism of, oh, it's, they've changed this into a first-person shooter. I was like, no, it's a first-person perspective. Like, it doesn't play yeah. like a first-person shooter at all. Um, and I think that VATS was a really smart way to bridge that gap between, you know, isometric top-down turn-based into something that was an evolution, but at the same time, you know, it still does carry itself a little bit more like a traditional, almost turn-based approach to combat. You know, you do Mm. have the freedom to run away, of course, which is uh, helpful, unlike in uh, Fallout 1 and 2, where it was just like, man, if you get too close to somebody and then you try to make a run for it, they're going to gun you down and you're not going to live very long. Um, But yeah, that was the quality, I think, that made Fallout 3 that much more approachable or accessible to me. Um, and it ended up being why it was, you know, my favorite one of the series and not to say I didn't enjoy New Vegas and four. Um, but, you know, I think Fallout 3 also was just at a very special time in me coming back to games after, you know, one of yeah. my infamous breaks from playing games for a period of time. Um, and it just it clicked in a way that, again, it felt like this evolution, not only for Fallout, but more importantly, just this whole new genre that I was experiencing of classic RPGs and then blending it with uh, sure. more action sensibilities, which... I'd always been a fan of, um, and it made for this just a happy medium between the two. Yeah, and I think that's we're saying that it's um, it has to teach you about how to play it in a way that I'd kind of forgotten because of, like I said, the genre I got into mostly over the years between like games like XCOM and the original Fallout, those sort of tactical games, is first-person shooters. And it's all very reactionary, all very aggressive. And it's teaching yourself not to be aggressive. Not to try and be on the front foot all the time that is difficult. And I think initially that was my big problem with Fallout 3. Was that I couldn't connect those two things in my brain of like, no, 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 you need to hold back. You can't just go gung-ho into the... You know, it became synonymous with me playing with people online that I just, I would not hold back. I would just go into everything, sacrifice myself effectively for the good of the game to just aggressively attack any objective because that's a lot. That's the way a lot of PC games worked at the time. You know? And it wasn't, like I said, until Borderlands where I realised that you, know, you have to rely on yourself and a partner and maybe... and um sort of keep alive long enough to stop getting killed every five seconds because you won't duck behind cover. You're just thinking, no, I can take all these fuckers out like that. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, all those experiences, Skyrim especially, because Oblivion, I think you get away with it a bit more in terms of being aggressive, but Skyrim taught me very quickly like that. Yeah, you need to be a bit more careful. It's diffi- like difficult yeah. to get too aggressive with dragons, much like getting getting too aggressive with uh, super mutant behemoths. 
Yeah, and also the fact that I always felt in danger of the, the, the curse of the PS3 save system uh, in that game. It's like, well, I'm not going to save for a while to you know, reduce the chance of that problem. So if you die in certain sections, you know, you know you're going to have to repeat them all over again. So it's like it kind of taught me caution <laughs> because of the deficiencies of a system, you know, and, you know, that's a great plus for <laughs> PlayStation 3, I suppose, that the only reason I learned patience is that, you know, and I think so much of my latter half of my gaming time you know, in my life has evolved from that. You know, it's evolved from learning that patience. You know, it's why I rekindled my love with things like XCOM, why I can, why I can take slower paced games and be happy with them again, you know, and um, because you, you forget that at a certain point in your life when you've been playing a certain type of game for so long that you are very much influenced by how those games play and it will put you off games that don't come out of that. And I see it with people who are very casual with what they play now it's like try to introduce them to something that isn't like the two games they're familiar with and play every year chances are you're not going to win because they, they don't have the time or the patience to, to adapt you know and it, it's it's very hard so yeah it's fallout has, has played a part in my journey in terms of like um changing how i view games which is always a healthy thing to do yeah you know and while the uh the future of fallout is uncertain in the sense of like there not being a timetable for that you know with obviously the next chapter of elder scrolls uh you know inevitably on the horizon um i think that it's the type of thing where you can see the fallout brand and how malleable it can be right with something like fallout shelters but i think that even when you look at the history of fallout whether it be those first two games and then you've got tactics and then you've got, of course, three and four and then the leap to Fallout Shelter. And there being these change, radical changes in a lot of ways in terms of gameplay or terms of experiences. At its core, though, there's that Fallout identity that carries through all of those and yeah. is shown through in a way that, you know, you might think about it differently. It might make you, you know, have certain uh, maybe epiphanies in the way you consume different types of games. But I think that that's a pretty special quality of Fallout, something that um, I don't know, again, like thinking about other franchises that have been around as long as Fallout have, even if they've tried different iterations or new evolutions on gameplay or storytelling and whatnot, it's the type of thing with Fallout, like it's so strong thematically at its core and what it sets out to do that it really does make for this thing that I don't worry about what the next Fallout game is going to look like because I can count on it to deliver in ways that it has all its history and who knows, maybe it'll introduce a new facet of gameplay that uh, makes for a whole new, you know, generation of tales to tell in the wasteland. But yeah, you know, Fallout's one of those games that uh, I'm happy we had a chance to talk about it. Who knows, maybe in the future, if we ever get another announcement for Fallout, we'll uh, we'll get to chat about it in real time instead of reflecting on 25-year history. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we got that and there's a TV series being made as well. So, you know, I'm sure we'll be bringing it up in, in due course at some point. Absolutely. But uh, Neil, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Absolutely. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next Monday.